0: Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're just days away from a new state budget being due for the April 1 start of the new New York State fiscal year. The budget being negotiated between Governor Kathy Hochul and the state legislature is expected to come in at roughly $220 billion and also include a good bit of new policy as well. There's a lot being negotiated among the powers that be and a big push being made by many other stakeholders in the process who want to see certain funding and policy outcomes in the final deal between the Democratic governor and the two houses of the state legislature, both led by Democratic supermajorities. My guest on this episode of the show is one important voice in the process, state Senate minority leader Rob Ort, the leader of the Republican conference in the state Senate, who is trying to influence the outcome of the budget and its many funding and policy decisions as much as possible. Governor Hochul is negotiating her first budget as governor, and it could be her only budget if she's not successful in this year's elections. And there's a lot on the line for the legislative majorities and minorities as well. A final state budget deal in Albany, often passed by the legislatures in the wee hours of the morning on or around April 1st, with final language that not even legislators approving it have read, is being discussed and debated right now over these final days before April 1, and it could come in in the few days after. April 1st as well. So in just a moment we're breaking down New York State budget negotiations ahead of that fiscal year 2022-2023 budget with my guest, Senate Republican leader Rob Ort. First very briefly, if you haven't caught up on our latest reporting at Gotham Gazette, check us out at gothamgazette.com for a lot of interesting stories on New York City and state politics and here on Max Politics if you've missed any recent episodes, I've had many great guests and interesting conversations on a wide variety of topics in New York state government and politics, Uh, some highlights of recent guests, including a couple of top journalists covering Albany and state government on the most recent episode before this, breaking down some of the key issues to watch in budget negotiations and the political atmosphere as well. Of course, I've also spoken in recent weeks and months with Dr. Dave Chakshi, the outgoing New York City Health Commissioner, Joanne Yu of the Asian American Federation, New York City Comptroller Brad Lander, and many others. So again, find all of those and many more episodes on housing, cryptocurrency, clean energy, mental illness services, and more at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. All right, today's show, we're talking about what will be a roughly $220 billion New York State budget due by the April 1st start of the new fiscal year. Important to note, on Tuesday, March 29th, just a few days before the budget is due, My guest is Rob Ort. He's the State Senate Minority Leader of the Republican Conference. He represents the 62nd State Senate District, which includes all of Niagara and Orleans counties and parts of Monroe County. Minority Leader Ort has held that position since June 2020, and he's been a state senator since 2015 after having been mayor of North Tonawanda, where he's also served in other roles prior to that. And he's also been a member of the New York Army National Guard since 2001 and a veteran of the U.S. war in Afghanistan, serving there for much of 2008. And in elected office, he has made veteran services a focus. Prior to elected office, Republican leader Ort was a personal financial analyst and advisor, and he's now with us here today. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ben. So before we get into a lot of other state budget matters, I really wanted to get your perspective on a a number of things that are being negotiated here in the final days and how you're trying to make sure that your conference's voice is is trying to influence this process as much as possible. Some of the biggest news of the week here leading into the budget is about this potential deal for a new Buffalo Bills stadium, including somewhere in the neighborhood of a potential billion dollars in state and county subsidies. Um, This is this is a stadium in in your neck of the woods. Um, what is your initial reaction to the deal that has been struck? That still needs approvals, obviously. But what's your um, what's your take on this deal? And, and what do you think should happen from here on out? Assuming you you are in favor of getting to some deal, is there anything you want to see shifted in the final days here before something is potentially approved?
1: Sure. Well, as you mentioned, um, uh, it is you know up in my neck of the woods. Uh, while I don't represent erie county i represent uh uh, i would i would argue a a large constituency that would uh identify themselves Mm as uh buffalo bills fans and uh you know people who would like to see and i count myself among these folks who wanted to see the bills stay in buffalo and by extension in new york state Mm -hmm. um and so you know there was the the now this, I do think, is a bit of a microcosm, and I'm sure we'll touch on this and other issues, of, of just sort of a, a process that does leave a lot to be desired, though, right? You know, we go through, here we are, we have a, a significant amount of public monies reported by media outlets, um, but yet no real, no finer details. When I say details, meaning, you know, what is, what is the investment, um, is there any additional investments that Pagulas and Pagulas sports and entertainment will make, uh, in Western New York, Erie County? Are there, you know, we, we, we've heard from media reports that, uh, you know, the numbers, the, you know, 600 million, uh, from New York state, um, 250 million from Erie County, and then 500 million, uh, from the, uh, Buffalo bills and the NFL. Um, but, what does that piece, the piece that's the Bills and the NFL, is that through, you know, seat licenses, is that, you know, how are, how are they getting to that number? What does that number look like? Is there any community benefit agreements tied to this? I think there are some, some things that need to be uh, fleshed out. Um, I have not had any conversations with the folks at Pagula Sports and Entertainment. I certainly would like to. Um, I think that would be helpful for, you know, obviously up to this point, the negotiations have largely been between the governor, uh, as you would expect, and uh, the folks with the Buffalo Bills. I think you know now it is time to bring in legislators, particularly legislative leaders from Western New York, uh, as well as maybe legislative leaders from elsewhere, to just see these you know see the deal, talk to folks at Pagula Sports and Entertainment, if not folks at the governor's office, um, and and be able to, to draw our own conclusions, so that when it when it does come before us. And, and this is sort of the next big piece, you know, there's obviously a deal between the governor, the Bills, you know, the NFL, Erie County, right? Those stakeholders. But as you noted, it's March 29th. There's no budget. Uh, I mean, there's, there doesn't seem to be any budget uh, or any sign of a budget deal. And this, this deal ultimately has to be approved by the legislature. It's expected it will have to be approved as part of, a budget agreement, of which at this point there is none, right? So I think I think that that remains sort of a major a major sort of variable here. You know, everyone's talking about the deal being done. Well, it's not done until it's voted on, and I suspect there's a lot more that the legislature um, is going to want to see in a final budget before uh, she can start counting votes to approve this 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 deal. So uh,
0: I just think that there's there's still a lot of football to be played, uh, pun intended. Yes, yes, punt intended. Um, So, I mean, this is what gets, you know, journalists like me really like up in arms, as you noted, and and many legislators too, is sort of the process here, right? I mean, how this is not getting a little more daylight, how there won't be a specific hearing on this deal, you know, where, where parties can come and, and explain and legislators can ask questions and, and there can be testimony from, you know, experts or watchdogs or whatever it might be, as well as the, the parties at play. I mean, this really seems like, you know, sort of the same old thing. And and it's happening with other parts of this budget as well. Um, sure. it's it, it, There's something, you know, seriously, clearly flawed in, in the process here. Now, you could say, you know, negotiations to get to the details maybe just need to be done sort of in private to get to a deal that then needs some public vetting. But as you note, know, it looks like the odds are we're not going to get much public vetting here. Isn't isn't that a isn't that a huge problem for New York State it, taxpayers? It is. It it is. There's there's no question about it. That I've
1: been here, as you noticed, this 2015. I've been a part of the the majority for uh four years and been a part of the minority, and I can tell you. I, I, in both instances, I I felt that the budget process left a lot to be desired, and I'm speaking as a legislator, let alone you know on behalf of my constituents. Sure. Um, and you know, w- with regard to the we, look at I was when I was mayor, as you noted in your in your intro, I didn't negotiate union you know contracts, and I can tell you that it, it was it was beneficial to be able to negotiate those you know quote unquote behind closed doors because you were able to have honest conversations without any posturing per se, right? You could have a real dialogue and try to get to a deal. But to your point, when you get to that deal, the deal is tentative because the deal needs to be approved. And it needs to be be approved usually by either the full union or the legislature or both. And that, you know, that's where I think you, you highlight, um, and and this happens a lot. I mean, I, I will, I will promise you, that there will be budget bills that will be dropped um, on the majority, let alone the, my conference, yeah, right. and we'll have you know two hours to, to, to conference the bill um, and then vote on the bill. And I think what's missing in that is the public, right? Like what's missing in that is the public does not really get a, a chance to weigh in with their representatives. Now with the bills deal. Obviously, if you're from Western New York, you you know, you may have a sense that, you know, broadly speaking, people want the bills to stay there and are going to be maybe generally supportive of the deal. But let's say you're a representative from Long Island or the Hudson Valley or New York City. You may you may be in a different position or you may be uncertain as to where your constituents may may fall on that. And you may want to hear from them. And and, and I guess maybe because it's in the news, they might. But there'll be a number of issues that their constituents won't know they're in the budget until they wake up in the morning, whatever morning that is, after the budget's adopted. And and that's been true, by the way, going back to Governor Cuomo uh, and to today. Um, So I I do think the process, uh, and I've heard legislators talk about this, I don't know what the simple answer is, but there's no question this process, when you're talking about billions, or I should say really hundreds of billions of taxpayer dollars, that deserves a certain level of scrutiny and it, it, we do it does not receive it in this process.
0: Well you know to that point and then let's get into some other stuff you know the the, the deadline for a budget deal should really be right now because right. <laughs> the, the right. use of messages of necessity is is so you know abused uh, to pass these bills as you said, there might be hours maybe. For legislators to try to skim through some of these bills before voting on them to, to see the fine print. It's a it's a real problem. And it, it you know, it's it's really not to the benefit of New Yorkers. And you know, this has been talked about forever and uh and, yep. and it, and, you know, same old, same old. And we're seeing that now even with the new governor, it looks like, and and messages of necessity will come down and the budget won't be, you know, publicly vetted even for the few days it should be. Um, uh so so uh, broad agreement on that except you know for the people who who could uh i guess really you know make a make it something different happen there all right you you lead the republican conference as you mentioned uh you've been in the majority now you're in the minority uh obviously a lot of different levels of influence here in these final days or even the final you know couple of weeks when you're looking at this specific state budget what are a couple of things that you and your conference are really trying to influence in the final deal? Can you name for, you know, for, for listeners and for New Yorkers, you know, your kind of top couple of priorities that you're trying in some way through the bully pulpit, through press conferences, whatever it might be uh, behind the scenes, you know, what you're trying to influence in the final outcome, a couple top priorities here. Sure. Well, and I think they, they vary between there's things we're trying to
1: to influence in an affirmative way, right? Things that we would like to see in the budget. Mm-hmm. And then there's things that we're trying to influence that we are trying to, to to prevent from being in the budget. Um and and so it just, you know, it depends on sort of whether where that issue is. Obviously, right. I'll take criminal justice or public, you know, public safety. There's there's issues on both of those sides of the ledger I just named. There is bail you know, which I, I think should not come as a certainly a surprise or won't come as a surprise to you or anyone else that's been covering the state capitol. Um, and and we've seen and we've been talking about bail and public safety and the link and, and just the increase in, in crime um, over the last several years. And you're seeing you're seeing an impact there because obviously, I I think absent the bully pulpit Absent the media coverage, absent us talking about this, I mean, really ad nauseum, I feel like I've I've talked about bail, you know, uh, more than any other single issue uh, since I've been in the state Senate, maybe. I mean, it really has. and, And I'm not saying, you know, that's rightfully so. But I think by talking about it, now you see the governor you know, she comes out with this, this, uh, you know, 10 point plan, um, or maybe I don't know if it's coming out with it is the right word, but it leaks out anyways. And then, you know, now we know that is being discussed, right? So we would, we would obviously like to see changes to cashless bail. Um, The governor's 10 point plan, uh, while leaving some things to be desired from our conference's perspective, most of the things in there, our conference supports, there's other things we would have liked to have seen, but I I say almost everything in the 10 point plan, our conference has supported for the better part of the last two or three years since bail, since cashless bail was, was, was passed. But then you have the other side of the legislature of the ledger, you have clean slate and this is, we're trying to
0: make sure that it does not happen. um, and just quickly, I, we won't go through yep. all the ten points yep. of the of the governor's plan, but but obviously, as you said, anybody sort of following this, many listeners who who follow some of the news note will know that the governor sort of uh, it leaked out, and then and then she co-authored with the lieutenant governor Sorry. an op-ed on the subject, and has talked about it a little bit. Uh, again, changing the bail law to allow judges a bit more discretion to hold more people pre-trial who are or deemed. Uh, a danger or repeat offenders and so on. And and people can obviously look up and read the the details. Clean slate on the other side is what you're you're getting. You don't want to see included, which is uh, a provision to allow people's uh, criminal records to be uh, basically uh, uh, cleared after they've served their time and they haven't reoffended for a certain amount of time. And you're against that. And that that if you can explain, go ahead.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, and, and I think this is important and this was this is true for bail at least for me in 2019. So, I'm against the provision that has been pushed by Senator Sepulveda and others in the Democratic Senate majority conference. The 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 concept of let's say someone who, you know, commits a crime, serves their time and has their record cleared, I think depending on the crime that's 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 a discussion that our conference and I think reasonable people can have where we where I seem in our conference seems to, um, you know, not be able a port of demarcation for us in a lot of these and bails the same way when it was done is it's the number of offenses and the, and the scope and breadth that these laws actually take on. And you're seeing that with bail because it was the number of offenses, even though we were told that it was all nonviolent offenses. I remember Senator Gennaris, uh, acknowledging on the floor of the Senate that 90% of arrests, you know, in New York would now be, um, you know, would, would be be an appearance ticket. And you're seeing a list of crimes that I think most New Yorkers might not classify as nonviolent. Right. I mean, there's obviously a gray area there, but I think, you know, I think it, 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 limiting it in scope, you know, somebody that, 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 uh, uh, you know, somebody gets into a fistfight at school and gets charged with you know, uh, uh, you know, assault or fighting or something when they're younger. You know, when they as they're moving along and, and trying to get in, into the working world as an adult uh, with no other offenses, I, I, I understand why that person would want their history, you know, cleared, and and I think that's a reasonable uh, request or or reasonable piece. But somebody who, let's say, is charged, you know, with more serious crimes the idea that an employer or a landlord or um, a daycare provider or, or whoever it might be, there's, there's a list of, of areas I can think of where somebody might want and, and the public might want to know th- about that background um, because it, it, it go, whether it's recidivism or a host of other reasons, I think from a public safety standpoint, there's good reasons to make why that should just not be expunged forevermore uh, that you'll never know. So I think I think it's more to some degree a t- discussion of nuance and degree and not just the concept that, no, we reject that whole concept, because I do understand that you want to allow people um the ability to, to enter society and be productive members of society. But very often we've gone, at least in the recent past, way too far. And all you end up really rewarding is repeat offenders, people who are have high recidivism uh, rates and who re-victimize over and over and over again. Um, and I think there is where our conference strikes a very different contrast with the majority conference on this issue mm-hmm. or this broader topic.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to dig into here, but let, let me on this one at least just play a little devil's advocate to say, sure. uh, you know, the provision, the bill for, for any crime is is finish your your sentence. So you pay your dues and then, uh, you know, don't reoffend for a certain number of years after. And then you can get your, um, you know, your conviction sealed. Isn't that sort of the whole the whole purpose in in a sense, you know, of pay, pay your due, you know, your, your time, do your time, pay your dues to society. And then you sort of get to start fresh again. If people don't have the access to jobs and housing that they need, because people are discriminating against them in some way, because of their, their criminal past after they've paid their dues, that makes them more likely to go back into into a life of crime, doesn't it?
1: Well, it, it could, that argument is made, but I, I want to sort of maybe push back on a couple points there. One, um, someone who commits a crime or maybe someone who has committed multiple crimes. Um, I don't know that, that, that you, you could say that that, that person is being discriminated against. They're, they're, they're being held accountable for their actions. Yes, you've served your time and you're back. But there's still we all know there's 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 still an accountability that comes into play uh, for certain actions, for certain crimes, for certain decisions, uh, particularly that are made when you're an adult. Uh, Don't forget, New York already passed, raised the age. We've already tried to make it easier for youths who offend to not carry that forward. So we're talking about adults uh, all day long on on these topics anyways. So I, I would argue that, you know, a bank. Uh, a school district, um, you know, uh, 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 even a landlord uh, has the should have the ability to know who they're renting to, who they're hiring. More importantly, I think the other people that are being hired live there, take their kids there, have the, you know, because what you're going to have is some somewhere, mark my
0: words, if this passes, somewhere there's going to be an incident. Sure. So, so, so th- that's a great point. And that ties in with the bail. And we just sure, have about five more sure. minutes here. So I do want to get to a couple other things. But generally speaking, what we're talking about here, whether it's clean slate or bail, is sort of how people decide on that balance, right? About right. W- right. what are you, what sort of, you know, what sort of level of those kind of incidents are you, are you, Able willing to, to tolerate? Just, you know, yeah. Are you willing to tolerate in exchange for the sort of broader concept of justice that winds up applying to many, many people? But you still are going to wind up, you know, because the easiest thing to do, obviously, in some ways, is you know, you you jail everybody pre-trial just in case somebody is, you know, sure, uh, you know, sure. They, right. So, so it's always it's finding that balance. Um, I don't know if you want to say know anything. When I say that. sure, I don't. I don't want to. I yeah. want to be clear. I, I'm not
1: advocating for that, but I know what you're saying. You're, I'm agreeing that yes, that's the that's the discussion, do, right?
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Let Let's just touch on a couple of other things. We could talk about criminal justice reforms, obviously, for an hour. Um, <laughs> uh, in In this budget deal, I assume there's a couple of other things that you want to see. Is there? Have you do you have any indication that anything's going to happen on charter schools? Uh, Mayor Eric Adams testified before the legislature saying. Um he wants at least the the so-called zombie charters to be allowed to be reissued. This is obviously something the Senate Republican Conference has backed for a long time. Do you have any indication that anything's going to happen on increasing uh, the ability for charter schools to open in New York City?
1: You know, our conference um, has long supported the idea of school choice and the idea of charter schools. Now, again, we can dig deep. As we, you know, as we were just talking the last topic, we can get into some weeds issues because there is always some nuance between good actors, bad actors, you know, and and, and any space. But I, I, um, this is another area where I tend to agree with, uh, Mayor Adams, um, when, you know, public safety being one of the other points, um, where, you know, this allowing, these charters to be reissued, um, I think, has a direct impact uh, for families and for educational opportunities for people who otherwise would be doomed. And we talk about a pipeline. We talk about, you know, like you you referenced obviously criminal justice, you know, sort of dooming somebody to a, a cycle, if you would. I think very often, um, through no fault of of their own, there are families out there. They have no other option, right? That if you have means, you can always send your kid to a private school, to a parochial school, what have you. Many times, charters serve a a key function in minority and ethnically uh, diverse communities where they allow children who otherwise don't have the means and who otherwise might not have that same opportunity. I know we all like to believe that with all the money we spend in education, it's all there. But I can tell you, you know, there are schools, schools and school districts that really struggle. And I think allowing some of those families an alternative or another option for their kid to reach the highest level of their success and potential is important. And I think Mayor Adams, a black mayor, probably understands that better or as well as anybody else that's led the city recently.
0: On, uh, on some of the other uh, stuff that looks like it's going to be in the budget, uh, a big boost in child care funding, a lot more money for SUNY and CUNY Um uh, uh, a lot of money towards a well a, an environmental bond act that's going to go before the voters, a variety of other things. Any other one or two sort of funding priorities that you're particularly on board with that you're uh, raising a red flag about and warning about too much money going towards something? Any one or two things that you want to highlight here um, that are also looking like to some degree they're going to be in the budget deal? We don't know the, the final numbers, but anything sure. else you want to raise? Yeah, go ahead. I, I think I think just a couple real quick Ben. one,
1: one is certainly on the child care piece, our conference uh, is very supportive of the effort to put real dollars behind childcare initiatives and making sure that people have childcare opportunities. I think when you talk about workforce and you you know child care is a huge. Impediment, and I'm talking people that are in the middle class, let alone people who are in working class. Um, you know, childcare people make decisions every day to leave their job because they're only working for childcare. If you're a single mother, that's not an option available to you unless you want to go on, you know, food stamps or the system. We should be encouraging the opposite. So I would far, I would much rather spend money that allows a, a working mom to put her kid in child childcare than forces her. On the system, the other direction. Right. I mean, you're going to spend money either which way. Let's spend money to allow that mother to go and get a career, work a job, bring home a paycheck and take care of her kids. Um, and, and that's a real concern. Obviously, we have to see the final number, but that that's an area that I think our conference broadly uh, supports. The gas tax, we would love to see. I know they're playing around with the rebate and the holiday I would like to see a, a temporary suspension, uh, do a six-month or a one-year suspension, revisit it at, as it comes up for expiration like we do with a host of other issues, and, you know, look at what the gas prices are. But, uh, you know, Americans, those same people that need child care, they're getting crushed by gas prices, certainly where I live in an upstate, in rural you know rural parts of the state. And then lastly, I just think our farmers, you know, they're looking at a wage increase or a threshold drop on the overtime. There's a tax credit that's being debated or discussed uh, in the budget process, but there's a host of other things we need to be doing to help our farmers. Um, and that, that, that supports everybody. It supports people in New York city who live in food deserts and it supports people who, you know, work and live in rural communities, uh, where farming is the number one economic engine uh, in much of, of New York state. So I think those three areas are areas okay. where we are hopeful that there is real funding and opportunities and progress in this
0: budget um, for New Yorkers. I'm going I'm to come back to one final question on bail and then let you go. Um, but you also have to come back and talk about the elections because we didn't we didn't wind up with time sure. to talk about this year's elections. Sure. But I want to talk with you about the Senate Republicans trying to pick you know, pick some seats back up, and, and sure. the, the gubernatorial race, and we have a little more time on that, so we'll come back on another conversation. But um, uh, to come back to bail, because as you said, you've made it such a focus, and and clearly, uh, aside from the merits, aside from the numbers, you, the Republican Senate Conference, and and Republicans in New York have clearly won the sort of public uh, discourse on this. Now. That being said, the more numbers we see, the the less it looks like there's a direct relationship between the bail reforms and the spike in violent crime. Now, that's not to dismiss some of the stuff around the repeat offenders and a variety of other pieces of the puzzle. But at this point, with the numbers that you've seen uh are you are you willing to acknowledge that, that it doesn't look like bail reform itself has driven the, the gun violence increase that we've seen in New York and, and really around the country over the last couple of years? So I, I'm I'm not.
1: Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure that's not that going to come as a great shock to you, but I'm not um, now I, that I think two things can be true here. You know, you, you can sit there and, and obviously there are other factors that contribute to crime. And to violent crime and increases in crime. Um, I I don't think I've ever said this is all bail. Um, But I think bail, which, which was passed in 2019, has absolutely created more victims by allowing repeat offenders to come in and out of the revolving door. But bail is also symbolic of a larger push that started in 2019 and really has not abated, even as we talk about clean slate, with really a, a overturning uh, of the criminal justice system uh, an, an in some ways, an almost anti-law enforcement agenda, You know, obviously see the defund police movement, which many of my colleagues across the aisle, some of them I should say uh, openly supported, um, including the Lieutenant Governor. So I think that that's really why the bail becomes the central figure. Um, and to your point about the illegal gun crime, that, that's a real issue. There's no question, illegal guns are a real issue. The problem is all the laws we ever pass regarding guns only affect legal gun ownership. We do very little to actually stop illegal gun, you know, trafficking. Or, and in fact, some of the bail laws allowed people that possessed illegal firearms mm-hmm. to go back on the street in the same day. So, yeah, no, if gun, you
0: really, gun, yeah, gun possession is a is a major, uh, one of these major sort of focal, you know, focal yes. point pivot points that is has been very much in that sort of uh gray area between you know certain philosophies and certain um sure, you know, sure. A- anyway point points there taken we, we could we again we could discuss this a, a lot more <laughs> and, and i do want to um, talk with you more about the elections and of course the debates over criminal justice reforms and we'll see what's in the in the budget uh yep. the outcomes of that will obviously impact the election so we'll, we'll talk more about that another time but it's been good to get your perspective on a number of issues uh senate um, minority leader rob ward thank you very much for the time Ben, thank you for having me and happy to come back anytime. I appreciate it.